Amen. How are we doing? Happy birthday, Redeemer. We have a September birthday, so I believe we actually missed the cutoff, but next year we get to go to kindergarten, so um, we're growing up. It's exciting. Um, and I, I need to say this, too, and, and uh, you know, while we're celebrating here, and I even saw a couple Irma refugees, uh, former friends of ours who have come to get out of the, the, the path of the storm who are in the gathering today, uh, but we have a lot of uh, sister churches and uh, both Sojourn Network, Acts 29, that we're both partnered with, um, who are in, you know, South Florida and up the East Coast where, where this storm is making landfall even right now as, as we're gathering together. And so uh, would you just join me in just lifting up a prayer uh, for those folks? Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we do pray, uh, even as we're celebrating here, uh, the safety and the beautiful weather of, of Bloomington, Indiana today. Uh, man, br- many brothers and sisters and many people... Uh, in, in South Florida right now and, and, and in the coming days up the coast um, we are, are experiencing uh, just a cataclysmic um, disaster. And Lord, we just pray. We pray for, for peace and safety. We pray for the churches there, uh, that Lord, you will, you'll be with them, that you will enable them. Uh, I know many brothers uh, of mine, uh, even pastors who've decided to stay in Miami, just so they can be some of the first responders on, on the scene uh, after the storm kind of makes its way through. Lord, we pray for their safety. We pray for you to work in and through this um, and through those men and women who will, who will go and love their neighbors and serve them selflessly and sacrificially. We pray that it would, it would reap a, a gospel harvest, um, Lord, that you would even be able to work good out of it. Um, but, Lord, we just pray. Uh, we pray for those people in the, in the path right now. We pray for their comfort, for their safety, for their protection by your hand. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, it's exciting to be celebrating our fifth birthday today. Um, we, uh, I also want to say uh, about the Doctrine and Devotion. That's, that's a great opportunity starting here a week from this Wednesday. Uh, you want discipleship. You, this is one of, our, one of our aims at helping our, us to grow in some better discipleship here in our church is to offer this class that will walk through both doctrine and devotion, right? This, in order to grow our love for, for Christ, we need to know Him more, and we need to be uh, more, more fully, we need to be connected to Him more deeply. And so our hope is to walk through things like the doctrine of the Word of God, doctrine of the Trinity, getting an understanding of what is, what is, it, what is it that those things are, what does that mean, who is God, who, who is He, what has He done? But to also then take it, how do we feed on God's Word? Now, how do we just know how the Bible's put together and how to answer questions about the canon that people might throw at you, like, why is that book in and this book not? But to also know, like, how do I sit down and actually feed on God's Word for myself? How do I meditate on the Scriptures? How do I just pray the Bible? Those sorts of things. And so we hope that kind of going back and forth week by week, um, and we want that to be something, hopefully some of you will jump in, you'll come every week. Uh, but, but even if you just want to come for a specific week, for a specific kind of topic or, or teaching, uh, you're welcome to just jump in anytime. Um, and so please, please uh, keep that on your radar. I think that'll be an excellent opportunity just for growth uh, for all of us. Um, but what a great day. We got four baptisms today. Uh, we got a cookout after the gathering. Uh, lots to celebrate. Five years of grace. And so, you know, thinking about all that grace, I mean, it really has been uh, all of grace from day one. I mean, it was grace... Uh, and I don't have time to tell all these stories today because we got baptisms and testimonies, but, but I, come talk to me. I'll share them with you. But it was grace that led my, my family to move to Bloomington uh, a little over 12 years ago. It was God's grace that kind of 
put this thought of church planting in our hearts, a, like a gospel awakening that I kind of went through even after my first years of coming here, already working on a staff with a campus ministry on the campus of IU, but really kind of coming awake to the gospel is not, not just our entry point to the faith, but all of our faith. That it's, it's not just grace that gets us in with Jesus, but it's grace that keeps us growing and becoming more like Jesus. It's grace that moves us to serve. It's grace that moves us to share the good news of Jesus with, with one another. Uh, I mean, that was, that was the grace of God that, that he allowed me to kind of get a picture of that, to kind of see the, the centrality of the local church to the mission of God. Um, and why we needed uh, another local church in this community to, to both reach people who are in this community who don't know Jesus, who aren't 18 to 22, but also to realize what a poor job I had done as a campus ministry staff person of, of teaching students how to be members of a local church and how to like thrive in the local church as they left their college years. And so we wanted to do something to, to do that. But, but that's all grace, like, that didn't come from me, it came from the Lord. Uh, it was grace, the grace of God that he enabled me to marry the most amazing woman in the world who will run down and hug Stephen Hopkins and never have known him. Um, <laughs> Crystal Jones, she's amazing. Um, that is grace, and, and the Lord has shown me so much grace through, through her in, in the, the, the years of our marriage, 17 years. Um, it is grace in the provision of just the initial people who are willing to help plant this church. Folks who were like, yeah, sure, we'll take a chance on this thing that may not last more than a week, but we'll, we'll go all in. We'll be in that. Um, it was grace in the provision of supporters, so many supporters who've never even been here for one Sunday, but believed in this church and believed in what God was doing here enough to get behind it in prayer, to get behind it in financial support. I mean, abundant grace. Um, grace in the provision of the places we've gathered. Uh, we have literally like just stumbled into every single facility that we've ever been in in the, the history of this church. And we've also been blessed that we've gotten like amazing deals on all of them. Um, that may not continue, but, but the Lord will provide one way or another where we go forward from here. Um, we've, we've, we've had grace on display in uh, 77 baptisms that we've celebrated as of today. Um, Lives transformed, marriages being redeemed uh, and restored, uh, grace in the growth, uh, our growth in the gospel, grace in our growth in number, uh, from my living room to here we are today, that's, that's grace. Um, it's only by God's grace that we're here celebrating a fifth birthday. I shared this last night at our, our little party we had uh, celebrating this weekend, but, but over 50% of church plants don't even make it to year five. So, I mean, it's God's grace that we're even still here and so there is so much grace to celebrate. And Jesus gets the credit for all of it. And so that's what I hope that we'll just kind of cling to today and celebrate today. But since we're celebrating and talking about five years of grace, I thought it would be good that we talk about grace. Um, uh, so we're going to step out of Mark and, and go somewhere else today. But I wanted to talk about grace. It's one of those words in the church that we sometimes probably take for granted, that everybody knows what we're talking about. And, and we need to kind of understand, what, what is grace? Uh, why is it so important? Why is it so good? Well, for starters, you know, simply put, definition-wise, grace means unmerited favor, right? A, a free gift you don't deserve, right? Author Jerry Bridges defines it like this. He says, grace is God's free and unmerited favor shown to guilty sinners who deserve only judgment. It is the love of God shown to the unlovely. It is God reaching downward to people who are in rebellion against him, right? Grace means getting something you didn't deserve. And really when we think about it, what the grace of God in Jesus Christ means for us, it means we get the opposite of what we deserve. 
right? Because in our sin, in our rebellion against God, in our deciding to just be our own gods, live our own way, uh, as how we see it right in our own eyes, we are, we are deserving of God's rightful, wrathful judgment. We deserve hell. We deserve eternal separation from God. That's, that's what we deserve. But in the person and work of Jesus Christ who comes and lives for us and dies for us and rises for us to pay the full debt of our sin in our place, we get the opposite. We get Jesus. We get eternal life with him in glory that begins the day you put your hope in him. Right? The day that you put your trust in him, you get to abide in his love and in his glory from that day forward. And, and, and so that's what, we, what we're talking about today. And we, we get this great understanding of grace, I think, in a small little uh, passage of scripture in Titus chapter 3, uh, verses 3 through 7. So, uh, and there we, we see our need for grace, we see God's provision of it, and we get a glimpse of the fruit or the, the end result of God's grace. So why don't you turn to Titus 3. Um, and stand with me for the hear- reading of God's Word. It's on page 998, I believe, in those Bibles on your row. Titus 3, 3-7. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and e- envy, Hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, uh, this opportunity just to celebrate uh, the, the reality of your grace in our lives as, as individuals and as a church body. As we celebrate this day, marking five years of this church existing, um, Lord, we are so thankful for your grace. We pray that you would help us through your word today to, to grab a hold of a, a deeper understanding of, of what it what grace means, what it means to be saved by grace, what it means to rest in your grace and be renewed by it. Lord, I pray that you would grow us uh, to, to live for your glory and for our good. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You may have a seat. See, Apostle Paul here, he begins showing us the need for grace, the need for grace. He gives us a very clear reminder that none of us can, can get by and manage on our own. None of us are up to the task of handling what's going on with our lives on our own. Look again at verse 3. He says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. There's a reality that every single human being on this planet is spiritually bankrupt. Right? You, are, you have nothing in the bank account when it comes to your sin and the debt of sin that you owe. Right? We, we understand bankruptcy, right? right? Bankruptcy, you're in debt so much that you have so much debt, it's impossible for you to pay it. It's impossible for you to ever get out from under that. And so people in our country, they, like, they declare bankruptcy. Right? There's different types of that, but, but essentially that's what it means. You, you have a huge debt, there's no way you, for you to pay it. You are bankrupt. You have no hope of paying that debt off. Right? 
And so you're not just needing to get some things together in your life spiritually, right? In your heart. Uh, you're not just needing to clean yourself up a bit and then come walk into a church and it's okay, right? You're spiritually bankrupt. You might be well off financially today, and, and you may be like a morally upstanding, like super, like, I'm a, I, I love my neighbors and I try to do good to people and all that sort of thing, but it doesn't really matter. The reality for every single one of us, every single human being on the planet is you are spiritually bankrupt. You've got nothing. You have an infinite amount of debt, of sin. Your sin matches up to this enormous debt that we cannot even put into perspective. It can never be paid off. It can never be matched. Nothing. Paul says it like this in Romans 3, verses 10 through 12. He says, as it is written, none is righteous. No, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Right? That's our reality, apart from, apart from God and Christ. And here in Titus, Paul is instructing Titus to, to remind the Christians in Crete, on the island of Crete, to remember that they themselves once were like this. Right? In other words, the reality is that sometimes even as Christians, we forget about our need for grace. We forget about how, how much we still need grace, too. Right? We still need it. To become a Christian, you realize, of course, right? I, I need God's grace. Right? You recognize when you put your faith in Jesus, you're recognizing, like, I'm sinful. Right? There's nothing I can do to make myself right with God. I understand the depth of my sin goes far deeper than what I understand. And, and I recognize that God, and, and, and God the Father has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to live for me, to die for me, to rise for me in my place. That He lives the perfect life I never could. He dies the death that pays that full penalty for my sin. That pays the full debt off in my place. So that the slate is wiped clean. It's it's, it's gone. And and I I recognize that as a Christian. And so I embrace Jesus in faith. And I receive his grace. And I recognize I'm saved by grace. Like to be a Christian, you have to own that. That's what you do. I'm sinful. I've got nothing that I can offer. I have to have Jesus. He's my only hope. And, And so that's what you do. But then here's what happens. Time goes by. And, and if we aren't intentional, we start to drift back into our natural kind of inclinations. And those natural inclinations are, for, for every one of us, I think, uh, I got to perform. I got to do, right? I got I to gotta, I do these things to make sure that God's okay with me, to make sure that he stays okay with me. I, I have to read my Bible, I have to pray, I have to come to church, I have to, I have to give, I have to serve, I have to share the gospel, on and on and on and on. I have to do that to maintain my faith, to maintain my right standing with God. Right? We get in these traps of performing. Like, I've got to do all these things. But here's what really happens, is because most of us are really lazy, we don't really try that hard to perform. We just decide to pretend, right? Well, I'm all right. I mean, I'm better than that person. Uh, I'm not as sinful as they are. At least I'm not, like, you know, doing the things that they're doing. Right? So, so I'm, I'm all right. You know, I go to church most of the time. I've read my Bible this year. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay. Uh, so th- that's, where we, that's where we go. 
And, and, and we just kind of start to have this thing. And so you kind of fall into this like yo-yo pattern of like every day you can, like you're, you're, how you're feeling about your relationship with God is totally dependent upon how you're doing and how you perceive you're doing. Right? So when I fail to read my Bible, I fail to pray like I should. I fail to, to serve and give and do these things. Well, I feel God's disapproval of me. I feel like he's going to punish me for that. He's out to get me. Right? God's... God's coming for me. He's going to do something to set that right. Um, and, and, and here's the thing. Even as a believer, to live like this is to base your relationship not on grace, but on works. It's a relationship built on works of earning. I'm not doing the work so God's against me, or I'm doing the work so he's for me. And the reality is, here's the reality. You could read your Bible Every day, you could pray every day for the rest of your life. You could come to church every Sunday for the rest of your life. You could drop your, your giving, your tithe in the bucket every Sunday for the rest of your life. You do all those things, and you are no more accepted by God than you are without that. Because your acceptance is not built upon what you do. It's built upon what Christ has done when he's finished on the cross. Because the reality is, you're still spiritually bankrupt. You have nothing. All you have is Christ. It's His righteousness that He gives to you, that that declares you right with God. You're permanently spiritually bankrupt. You have no means whatsoever of improving your standing by your performance, by, by doing things to get God's approval of you and keep it. And so there's there's no way to fix it by your works. Uh, to relate to God by your works is, is in fact, like a is, is spiritual suicide, right? It's spiritual suicide. The only way that you can relate to God is by grace. The only way is to rest in his grace, to receive it and, and abide in it. Grace isn't just the entry point. It's, it's everything. The entire Christian life is a life built upon the sheer grace of God. And because of our dependence on God's grace, because we're all sinful, spiritually bankrupt on our own, because of our desperate need daily to abide in the grace of Jesus, there's no room for pride in us. There's no room for, for arrogance for us to like start looking down on other people and condemning other people for, for where they're at. Right? There, there's no room for that. The, the, the only difference between us and someone else is, is the sheer grace of God. It's the grace of God. And so that should move us to have compassion and love and a desire to go after and to share the hope that we have found in Jesus with with others so that they can know the grace of God too. You need God's grace every bit as much as anyone else does. Every human being does. We see that here in Titus 3. But we also see the provision of grace. The, The message of Christianity is not advice on how to have a better life, how to, how to have a, a good standing with God. It's not advice on that. Uh, it, it's it's the, the gospel, right, which means good news. That's what Christianity is. The message is, is good news, that God in the person of Christ has done everything that was required to accomplish your salvation, to bring you into right relationship with God, to, to wash you in His blood and cover you with His righteousness He's done it all. And we see that here in these, these verses, beginning in, in verse 4 with some of the most beautiful words in Scripture, right? But, dot, 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 God, dot, dot, dot. You'll see that again and again throughout the pages of Scripture. 
but God. But God. Right? We were a train wreck in our sin. But God. But God. Right? Look at verses 4 through 6. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. We're desperately lost. We got nothing. But God intervenes. He saved us. And, and, and notice that too. It says, He saved us. He saved us. And He saved us. In other words, God does more than just save you into this like personal, eternal, quiet time with Jesus for the rest of your life. He saves us into a family, into the body of Christ, into local churches that represent that body, right? That we have brothers and sisters that we are to walk with together in this. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies, excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is God's design from the very beginning, is to have a people for himself. And you can't do that as an individual. You can't be a, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people as an individual. That's a corporate reality of who we are as the body of Christ in him together. God's design is for him to have a people who would reflect his glory, who would proclaim his goodness and enjoy it to, to, to his glory and for our good. And that plan never changes. So he, he saves us and he makes us a people. And he pursues us by grace. He loved us not because you were just so darn lovable, right? Not because you were just so cute and adorable. No, he loved us. He loved you because he is so loving. He is so good. He is so gracious. The thing about being spiritually bankrupt is that it's not like we're almost um, to the goal of righteousness, but we just need like a little bit of a push to kind of get over the line. Like if we could just get a little help, a little kick in from somebody else, we'll get through it, we'll get there. That's not the deal. We have nothing, nothing, zero, like nothing to offer, right? Even the good works that you do, God says they're completely worthless, Isaiah 60, verse 6, he says, All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. And, and that, that language has some deep meaning. But it just means you're covered in stains. You got nothing. Like even when you try to put on your good works, like it, it's shabby wretchedness. It's nothing. You have nothing. But God, but God has provided everything that is required. Everything that you need. And he saved you not because of anything you did or didn't do, but according to his own mercy. According to his own mercy, God the Father planned your rescue in eternity past. And and God the Son, Jesus Christ, he came and he lived and he died and he rose to accomplish your salvation. And, And then we see here even faith itself is a gift of grace. That it takes the Holy Spirit coming into our hearts and, and, and regenerating us, renewing us on the inside, enlivening us to come to faith, to even receive faith as a gift of grace. It's all God's doing from start to finish, right? It's all His doing. It's all a work of grace. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, this Trinitarian project of your salvation, them working together so that you can stand before a holy God 
forgiven, accepted, brought into the family of God as God's sons and daughters, fully, fully accepted before him. We had nothing to do with it. Nothing. It's all a gift of grace. Right? In our sin, our thinking was twisted, our behavior was distorted and corrupted, but God provided the righteousness that we needed in the person and work of Jesus Christ to secure a right standing before God. That's God's provision. But we also see here that Paul points us to the fruit, the kind of end result of grace. That God's grace doesn't stop at the cross in the empty tomb. It doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop at the moment you believe in Jesus and become a Christian. It doesn't stop there at that initial forgiveness. It keeps going. And verse 7 kind of points to this. It says, So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Right? And justified is this legal term. Right? That, that means you've been declared right with God. It, it pictures the courtroom kind of setting. That, that here, here are the charges that have been leveled against you. Paul's mentioned them in verse 3. He says, you're foolish, you're disobedient, you're deceived, you're enslaved, you're malicious, you're envious, you're hated, and you're a hater. And haters need to back off. That's for my daughter, Miranda Sings. Um, right? You're a hater. The evidence is insurmountable. Like, you're not going to talk your way out of this. It's stacked against you. The verdict has to be guilty. But God intervenes. And Jesus comes, and, 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 and the just penalty that you deserve is put on him instead. And so he goes to the cross, and he takes that wrath, the full of cup of God's wrath, in your place for your sin. He suffers all of it in, for you. And, and the result is that the verdict level against you is not guilty and condemned, but it's innocence. Innocence. You have been declared right, justified. And as a result, Romans 8, 1 says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for the Christian. You stand clothed in the perfection of Jesus. That's what you have. But that's not all. That's not all. By his grace, you've not only been justified, but you've, you have become an heir according to the hope of eternal life, Paul says. And, and this is talking about a future hope. Like you, you're an heir. You have an inheritance. You haven't received it all yet. Right? You share in that, and there's a promise to come, that there is, there's something more to come later. In other words, you're made right with God the moment you believe. That's a moment in time kind of thing. But the fullness of the life that you've been promised, is, it comes in the future. You get a taste of it now, but it's coming in its fullness when, when God comes, and when Jesus comes in glory and renews and restores all things, that's when that, that inheritance gets cashed in, and we really share in all of it. And it, you put that together with the wording of renewal uh, of the Holy Spirit here. There are hints uh, of the other aspects of the work of grace in the life of a Christian. I think it's pointing us to sanctification and to glorification, right? Two additional stages that go along with justification in the Christian life and experience of salvation. Justification, that moment in time being declared right with God. Sanctification, that growing in Christ-likeness. Progressive experience throughout your life. And then glorification, that time when Jesus comes in his fullness and we are resurrected with him in glory to share an eternal just life and, and goodness and joy with him where there's no more sin, no more tears, no more death, just glory. Right? And those are fruit of, those are, sanctification and glorification are a fruit of grace as well. We have the promise of a future inheritance by grace. 
And the path that we walk till we meet Jesus in glory is a path that rests fully on the grace of God. Not on your performance, but on his performance for you. And continuing to abide in that. All the Christian life, from start to finish, is a a life of grace. I I love this quote from Jerry Bridges. He says, one of the best kept secrets among Christians today is this. Jesus paid it all. I mean all. Right? He not only purchased your forgiveness of sins and your ticket to heaven, he purchased every blessing and every answer to prayer you will ever receive. Every one of them, no exceptions. Jerry and I got to spend some time on the beach this summer while I was on sabbatical. Not really, but I read his book, Transforming Grace. Um, and uh, that would have been cool. Um, but no, I read his book, Transforming Grace, and, and it was such a, a healing balm for my soul. Because the reality is, as I went into sabbatical, I think I had drifted, right, into this place where, uh, you know, it's, sometimes it's easier to preach about grace, and it's a different thing to actually live in the reality of resting in God's grace. And I had definitely drifted into one of those places where I was very much by default kind of drifting into performance, performance, performance. I got to do, I got to do, I got to do, I got to do. And it was putting me and driving me in some unhealthy, unhealthy places. Um, I believe, and I have believed, all of life, all the Christian life is, is a, a life that's built on the grace of God. But sometimes it's another thing to live that, right? And there had been a season there where I don't, I don't think I was living that. I wasn't. And so I read this book, and, and it just kind of comes back to me. And, and I was quickly confronted with the reality that even though I've been a Christian for like 22 years, um, I've been in ministry for uh, 19 years, I planted a church five years ago, that I'm still completely spiritually bankrupt. And it was such a freeing reality to be met with. Because that means that all I have is God's grace. All I can rest in is God's grace. All that, all that matters is, is God's grace. And that's, you know, the Jesus paid it all, right? That's not just some cool anthem for us to sing in the church and like raise our hand to. That's, that's a reality. That's the truest reality of me in Christ. That's the truest reality of you if you're a Christian. Jesus has paid it all. We don't just sing it and get excited about the song. We need to own it in our heart and abide in that and rest in that. And let, the, let us see that that's how God truly sees us. That he's paid it all and he sees us clothed in the perfection of Christ. He sees us as his children, sons and daughters adopted in. And so now for me and for you, right, as followers of Christ, the call on us is to make our home in Jesus. To rest in his grace to just be overcome with gratitude and joy day by day that Jesus has paid it all. That he loved us enough to pursue us, not because we were lovable, but because he is so good. He's so kind. He's so loving and gracious. And we, we let that just, just saturate our hearts and our lives and understand that we're no longer defined by our work, but we're defined by the finished work of Jesus Christ. And then when you let that grace just saturate in your heart, you let, it, you let that move you to read your Bible and to pray and to come and worship and to tell other people about Jesus. Not because you have to, to keep him on your good side, right? But because you get to. You do those things not to get God's approval, but because you already have his approval. You already have everything from him. And so that's an opportunity to know him more. 
to know more about his grace, to know more about his love, to abide in it, to share it with others. That's a joyful thing and that you get to participate in and, and be a part of. And so you let that move you so that you get this opportunity to continue to taste and experience even more and more of his grace. That's my prayer. In fact, I'm going to pray right now that that's what we would be about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray and we just thank you so much as we, we celebrate these, these past five years and, and so many testimonies and stories that could be shared of your grace in, in so many ways in the life of this church and the life of so many people in this body. Um, the Lord, help us as we, as we move forward just to continue to rest in your grace, to let that be the shaping force of our lives that, that Jesus has paid it all, that that be what would move us to, to want to know you more, that that would move us to want to tell others about you, that would move us to want to plant more churches and, and send more missionaries out to the ends of the earth to see the gospel go forward because we're just resting in grace and we can't get enough of it and we know other people need to know about it and it's a joy, not a burden and a duty, it's a joy to get to be a part of that with you. May your grace be our anthem in our life and our heart. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.